Well, friends, ever since I was a teenager, I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to go to some faraway country and learn about a different culture and eat interesting foods and learn a different language. And when I got to be the age of 20, I went to Zaire, Africa and lived for nearly four months as a youth in mission in the town of Mbujimai. And I served there um, in a health clinic. Well, we've heard a lot about Zaire in recent years. Uh, it's the Democratic Republic of Congo now, and there, was, there is and has been a lot of unrest. But then the biggest issue was poverty. And so it goes without saying, for me, that four-month period of my life completely changed me and changed my worldview. I loved my time there. I was welcomed with open arms into this community of 400,000 people in the village of Mbushimai, and they quickly gave me a name. I was so honored, I was blown away beyond belief. They, they called me Mulelem Bikonkolongo. Doesn't that just sound nice? I mean, Mulelem Bikonkolongo. Moyo Mulelem Ah, Moyo. They told me it meant gentle woman. Mm, I was so, so moved. And then this missionary told me it really means wild woman with forked tongue. <laughs> I thought they had received me with such open arms and graciousness. But <clears throat> so my job was in the health clinic. I was weighing babies and packaging pills. I learned to give some vaccinations. I would I would help teach nutrition classes because so many folks could not read or write. They sang the instructions. And so we would sing, Kunda ne tumbele. And they'd, they'd dance, Kunda ne tumbele. Beans and peanuts. Beans and peanuts. Because I would teach folks to eat beans and peanuts and put good protein in your diet because kwashiorkor and marasmus, to not have enough calories or protein in your diet was literally killing children. And if they made it past the age of five, they, they, had, they would likely live to adulthood because so many folks die at a young age from malnutrition. But my background was not in medical work. It was in, I was a major in Christian education. So my after school after work activities took me to the local youth groups and to other church groups where I did the important work of teaching people how to do the bunny hop and the Virginia reel. It was an, an amazing summer. Well, one time I got to go to a Zairean Presbyterian women's conference for four days. And even though I couldn't understand a lot of the language, I could understand the singing and I could participate in the dancing. They said to me, we sing and dance like you all breathe in the United States. That's so true. They, they were swaying all the time and singing. And we laughed a lot. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And you know, you almost have to feel really good when you're with a large group of Christians who are studying the word together and listening to sermons being proclaimed and praying together and taking classes about nutrition and hygiene and really struggling with issues in the Bible and, and thinking about how it manifests itself in my own personal life and in relation to this community. They were feeding each other and they were being fed and they were feeding me. 
Well, similar to many Christian conferences, the participants were, as we were starting to leave, they were leaving on a natural high and empowered with new hope for the world and for their own faithful walk. They were singing and clapping their hands even as we loaded the truck to get on board to travel the 60 miles back to Mbuji Mai. Now, here's a picture of Mbikai. I like to call him Moses because he was such a wonderful leader of the people. But he's testing out the radio and checking the, the engine. And then the truck itself was a big flatbed truck that had, it's not a very good picture, but they had, um, well, six tires on that truck when we started out. And we all got on board and from where I was standing, because we were standing room only with other women and babies, I counted 72 people on that truck with me. It was very crowded. Now to add a little reality to the situation, this particular morning we were getting ready to leave Lake Munkamba and travel back to Mbujimai. I was not feeling well. I was kind of sick that particular day. As putting it mildly, I felt terrible. Fever and nauseousness. And they, those who know this sort of thing, told me it was malaria. I never had that confirmed. I don't know that it was, but I was miserably sick. So they said, why don't you sit down on the roof of the cab of the truck? <laughs> because at least you could sit. And so this was my view from the roof of the cab of the truck. All the way, 60 miles, this dirt road with this horrible rut on the side. But on the roof of the cab of the truck, there were three other people with me. So we were four of us sitting up there. Within the first hour, we had a flat tire. We didn't just have a flat tire, we broke the rim of the wheel. And so seeing no Exxon or Texaco station in sight and knowing that we were 800 miles from the capital city, I pulled a skirt out of my backpack and lay down on the dirt road to wait. And before long, Mbikai came and said, look, why don't you go at least sit in the Jeep that's following alongside the truck and you could at least be in the shade because you can see there was no shade there. So, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll go lay down in the Jeep. And a few minutes later, these three women came over to me and told me that I would feel so much better if I just ate something. And they were munching on something much like we munch on potato chips and they proceeded to offer me a bowl full of caterpillars and grubs <laughs> now you know the kind without fur they're kind of you know like the, the okay yeah okay they were chewing on them and loving them and and i learned to speak chaluba right quick i said may mendisama may mendisama i have much sickness and they were like you would feel so much better if you just ate something well i got out of that that was the first hurdle of the day i was graceful and told him i was sick so the next thing I know, a few minutes later, Mbikai comes and said, okay, some of us have been talking and we're going to put you, take you in this Jeep to the village up ahead, to the village of Chachacha. Don't confuse it with the village of Chachacha. It's spelled the same, but pronounced differently. And we're going to let you rest in the church there or in someone's home. And, and because it could be hours before we get this tire fixed. I said, okay, okay. I went with the same three women that had offered me the grubs to this new village, to this place that I didn't know where I was going. And I didn't really know these people's names and I didn't know where we were going, but I trusted them because they were members of the body of Christ and they were taking care of me. Well, we get to the 
village and they drop us off and the jeep goes back that was the one other english speaker went back there and these women motioned which way we would go they picked up my backpack put it on their head and we started walking we walked and we walked and we finally got to someone's hut a simple grass hut and i laid down under the shade of a tree and went to sleep now the first time i woke up it was a very strange sensation Because I opened my eyes and realized that a goat was licking my face. (laughs) I went back to sleep hoping it was a bad dream. And the next time I woke up, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. I panicked. I left the truck at 10 a.m. Where was I? Where had they left me? Do they know where I am? What if, what if, what if I was panicked? And the women said to me, it was, I'm sure this is what they said. This is what I thought they said cool down honey it's going to be okay just just calm down and surely in a few moments I followed their lead and then just a little bit later they picked up my backpack and they motioned that we would walk back towards the road and we did the truck had not arrived but within five minutes we could see that truck coming way in the distance very slowly now they just took off one of the wheels very slowly and if you listened carefully you could still hear those women singing they were continuing the conference they were continuing to praise God and be together as the body of Christ happily celebrating whatever comes they didn't seem worried that they hadn't eaten since breakfast or that they didn't know when their next meal would come or when they would get home for that matter and it was not looking likely to get home that day but what I didn't know it is the whole time that I had been sleeping those three women had been cooking and they were cooking a very common meal of bedia and greens their staple foods bedia is made from the tapioca root and and frankly it looks like bread dough but it tastes more like play-doh okay it's not not very good but to them a day without bedia is like a day without sunshine I mean it was something they had to have every day and it was their staple food and so these three women had cooked enough bedia and green so that all 72 people could have a little bit could have enough and be satisfied as I looked on that scene as sick as I was I remember saying to myself this is a realized miracle this is the feeding of the 5,000 right here in front of me for those three women they acted as Christ did that day they took care of me physically and they fed a multitude it was a miracle when you consider the little bit of food and money that they had to offer they could have thrown their hands up in the air and said it's just too much we don't have enough resources to do this they didn't do that they did not remain paralyzed and powerless instead they became empowered and they acted as Christ did to me and to so many others so are there similarities between the women on the Zairean roadside and the people gathered around Jesus at the Sea of Galilee absolutely for both groups had gathered to get to know this man Jesus just a little bit better now we didn't have the physical Jesus with us but he was so surely in our midst because whenever Jesus is present people are nourished as we look at our text we realize though that this miracle story is the only miracle story along with the resurrection that is told in all four Gospels 
But in John's account of this story, it's not only a miracle, but it's a sign that serves as a preface to Jesus' teaching about the true bread of life and points to an even greater miracle of the gift of himself that is realized in Holy Communion and realized on the cross and resurrection. The feeding of the 5,000 is a very familiar story to perhaps all of us gathered here today. I mean, here we are at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and healing the sick, and now he's surrounded by a huge crowd. And it's getting late, and everyone's looking around confused about what to do, and Jesus decides that he wants to feed everyone. And so we asked Philip, where are we going to buy some bread that these people may eat? Where are we going to buy some bread? And Philip responds, well, perhaps nervously, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I mean, but 200 denarii, I mean, that's like six months living wage for people. 200 denarii or 200 silver pieces would not buy enough bread so that everyone could get just a little bit. So come on, Jesus, it's going to cost too much. And then Andrew says, well, there is this little boy here who's offering up his lunch. I mean, five barley loaves and two fish. It's not much. Then he adds, perhaps hesitantly, in fact, what are they among so many? I mean, shoot, five loaves and two fish? That's barely a drop in the bucket. And that meager amount of food seems like a waste of time if you ask the disciples. It will never be enough. How will five loaves and two fish feed this hungry multitude? I mean, it would take a miracle. A miracle. You know, we don't talk a lot about miracles today, partly because we don't hold them as with such importance, maybe because we don't think we can do the things that Jesus did back then. And hence this story, it just becomes a nice story about Jesus, who was so much more than we can ever be. I'm reminded of something that Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopal priest, once said when she said she has a problem with miracles that mesmerize us and lead us to leave everything up to God. She writes, miracles let us off the hook. They appeal to the part of us that is all too happy to let God feed that crowd and save the world and do it all. Sure. There are times that I have felt that way about Jesus and his miracles. I can't do what Jesus did, which was take nothing and make something. But if you think about it, isn't that exactly what Jesus continues to do through us, through our efforts? Jesus takes our nothing and makes something, something amazing. He makes something out of our lives. And those lives can offer healing and wholeness to others. Jesus uses us and our small efforts to transform, to nourish, and to feed a hungry world. Certainly Jesus used those three Zairean women on the roadside that day. And Jesus continues to use us. Wherever we are in life, whatever's going on with us, if we offer up our gifts, they can be used. Walter Brueggemann says, when you are with Jesus, you are inescapably in the bread business. You need bread to share because it is the work of Jesus to feed hungry people and express compassion concretely.
So when I pause and think about it, I realize we are all in the bread business here at Hyde Park. We are all in the bread business as the body of Christ together. I mean, we've just finished serving 200 homeless guests a nourishing meal this morning over in the activity center. We're motivated to feed others and somehow our meager efforts are multiplied every week so that hungry people are fed. Jesus takes our nothing and makes something, something that is real and meaningful and fulfilling. We feed open arms. We feed the guest at open arms, offering living bread through this nourishing meal. But also this morning, they, those who wanted to receive it were fed Holy Communion. We do that at least once a month as well. There's so many acts of mercy that are able to be offered because of the work we do together. We feed bodies and souls as we prepare and deliver love meals, these delicious home-cooked casseroles that go to people who could just use a bit of encouragement. We feed our bodies and souls as we share together a Wednesday evening meal that is prepared so elegantly for us to share and we, we converse together before we go to a children's activity or youth activity, to a, a meeting or to a small group study. We feed others whenever we gather over in the chapel after Holy Communion and gather around someone who needs healing prayers offered on their behalf or on behalf of one that they love. Or when we intercede for those who are going through difficult points throughout the week. We feed others whenever we gather as a group of faithful followers and offer our small bits to be multiplied by the God of love. We feed others when we visit someone in a hospital or nursing home or rehab or when we gather as a group and knit prayer shawls. These shawls that surround someone who wears them with God's tangible expression of God's healing and care. Too often we think that our efforts aren't worth anything, but when God's multiplication kicks in, amazing things happen and people are fed and nourished. A few months ago, I gave a prayer shawl to a man in the hospital who was very ill. And a week later, I sat with his family and, and his bedside as he was wearing his prayer shawl and we watched him slip from this life to the next. The next week at a memorial service, his wife sat here clutching that prayer shawl. And the first time she came to church afterwards, the first words out of her mouth were, I still have that prayer shawl. I sleep with it every night. It provides me so much comfort. Friends, those prayer shawls feed and nourish others in a deep, deep way. Like so many acts of service, they offer a tangible sign of Christ's love and care to a weary and hurting world. The prayer shawl ministry is one of the ministries I lift up this day. But it is just one of so many ways that, are, that God uses to multiply his love for this hurting world. Just today, just today in the New York Times, as the uh, Germany has welcomed so many migrants, it says right in the early paragraph... They were welcomed and offered hot tea and food, real bread, the tangible gift of God's love 
something that was so needed. All of us can offer something, something of what we have to be used and blessed and multiplied by God. For faithful people are able to feed multitudes because they dare to believe that the God of love is working through their small efforts to feed and nourish others. So friends, I would invite us, let us all testify to love with our five loaves and two fish and participate in the miracle of caring and of nourishing and of feeding people. Yes, we, we need to do that. And I hope today you'll be encouraged to think about how you could offer the gifts you've been given to serve others and to share God's love and to feed people in real tangible ways. But I also want you to hear the gospel message this morning. I want you to hear some good news for hungry people. Because who among us, if we're honest, is not sitting here this day just a little bit hungry? The fourth century theologian, St. Augustine, said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God. Yes, who among us doesn't know that kind of restlessness and hunger deep within? We're hungry for the bread of heaven and thirsty for living water. Isn't that why 5,000 people followed Jesus and stayed with him until dusk? Because they knew inside that they were hungry. There was an emptiness that they were trying to fill. I don't know about you, but that's why I came to church this morning. And I suspect if you thought about it, maybe that's why you came too. That on the outside chance, you just might find some bread to feed that deepest hunger that's in your heart and soul. And so I pray this morning that this story will remind you of the abundance of God's love and you'll be encouraged to give whatever it is that you have to Jesus. Place it in his service and let him bless it and break it and make it be enough. Friends, let us not just wait for a miracle. Let us participate in one. We're going to move to the offering in just a moment, but before we do, I would invite you to join me in a prayer blessing over these beautiful prayer shawls. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy and gracious God, we thank you for these beautiful shawls and for what they represent. We thank you for the men and women who knitted them and the men and women and, and young people and children who might receive them. I pray that whoever wears them, if they're chilled, they would be warmed. And if they're sad, they would be encouraged. And if they are just, just raw with grief, I hope that they would feel comforted by your presence. I pray that these tangible signs of your love would inspire us to offer gifts, the gifts that we've been given, our own loaves and fishes, and that we would offer these for your service. And that you would bless and break them and make them be enough to feed this hungry and weary world. We thank you for the many ways that men and women serve. And we ask that you would continue to challenge us and guide us so that we can indeed make your love real in many, many new ways. Ways that we least expect it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>